0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines this morning. Tech wreck on Wall Street. U.S. majors slide and the 10-year yield touches 1.7%. After Fed minutes, show officials are considering shrinking the balance sheet alongside rate cuts. Asian equities sink after the weak handover, with Japanese stocks leading the way.
2: At least seven European countries reporting record daily Covid cases, but the UK is actually easing testing requirements. And the French retailer Oran uh, is uh, reportedly weighing up another bid for rival CAFOR after takeover talks were called off in October. everyone. There's a lot to discuss, but I probably should start off by saying I don't think it's called Ocon, the French. Read, it, it, my, my French pronunciation was awful. I think it's Auchin. There you go. That's much better, isn't it? Right. Let's move on to the main story. So uh, U.S. Federal Reserve is gearing up for tougher tightening uh, in the months ahead. Now, the FOMC minutes, not normally the most exciting read for many of you in the market world, but actually they were yesterday. Uh, interest rate hikes could now be more aggressive than many have been expecting uh, in a bid to tame soaring inflation while keeping the economy growing. Markets are now pricing in the first quarter point rate hike to come as soon as March. That 80% chance, many are saying in the markets. And as many as three more for the year. Uh, The minutes also showed almost all FOMC participants agree it would be appropriate to let the central bank's balance sheet shrink. That's the point as well uh, about um, taking in the balance sheet aggressively uh, once it has lifted its main policy rate. And that, Karen, is what got the market rather excited.
1: Yeah, it's a significant shift from where we have been. And I think that change in direction and the, the pace and timing that the market's now contending with has had ramifications. I want to take you to the bond market first up because you can see at the short shorthand, that's a two and the five. That's where some of the repricing has happened around the interest rate story. And don't forget, we were roughly yielding 0.73% Friday close. We're now 085 so we have marched higher on that end. And if you take a look at the 10-year as well, investors also moving that end of the market, 1.72, where we're trading, we're up from 1.51 and that Friday close. So it's a significant march higher. We've got about 20-odd basis points move in a fairly short period of time. That is uh, causing a big impact on the markets too. And we saw as the Fed minutes crossed, uh, this is how it played out across the course of the day. The selling really kicking in uh, from the outset and then falling into the finish. So markets pulling back sharply. And the extent of it, I mean, we saw it on the Nasdaq in particular, falls of 2.6%, of the S&P 500 at one7 the Dow falling 1.1%. So we have uh, certainly had that pullback. Uh, and I wouldn't say just on uh, some of the, the big market uh, averages. The, the pullback we saw... On the NASDAQ, then closing below uh, its, uh, effectively, the, the range, more than 5% off. We start to talk about the type of correction we might be seeing on the markets when we're down more than 5%, and this market now off its record high to the tune of close to 7%. So we are getting in some of the high ranges now as investors pull back from the big technology names because of the interest rate scenario. I want to get into that, that Com- NAS- NASDAQ composite pull back 523 points by the end, or 3.3%, and you can see by the close, of the trade we also fell across the board a similar sized territory in some of these big names meta that's the uh, facebook company 3.6 percent down netflix down four percent apple microsoft don't forget these have been two fairly significant high flyers around the pandemic both of those stocks falling and you could see across on some of the other major names all in the same sphere 4.6 percent down for alphabet and tesla just a little bit more one of the big momentum plays U.S. banks by comparison. This is where you could have been caught out this year if you were positioned badly around these names. You're now seeing huge disparity just over the course of 2022 so far. Banking stocks have been better performers. Still falling yesterday, but slightly smaller falls. For instance, if you look at the KBE, yesterday was down three quarters 1% versus a fall in the FANG Plus stocks of more than 4%. So significant difference there in the extent of the fall. And now over the course of the week, the FANG Plus stocks have been down more than 6% versus a week-to-date gain of close to 4%, for the banks, so huge gap there in market performance in a very short period of time. I want to take you to the dollar. We are seeing, of course, uh, the yield be supportive of the greenback story, and that means sterling and euro on the back foot. The morning session: one thirty-five twenty-six on sterling, one thirteen oh-seven on euro. A dollar though losing a little bit of steam versus the Japanese yen at this point. Yen is uh, picking up a little bit of steam here. Dollar is supported versus the yuan and Asia markets picking up on that fairly rough session from Wall Street, and you can see how it plays out across the board. Uh, Big tech names also been hit in this part of the world on the Japanese stock market. That means the Nikkei's reversed 2.9%. Hong Kong stocks trading down four-tenths. Chinese stocks are only slightly below the flat line at this point. And as we talk about technology, don't forget this is a market that's been dealing with its own form of tech regulation that's had a, a huge impact on the sector in recent times. So a little bit more contained today. The Australian market down heavily, though, two and three quarters of a percent. So the idea around cheap money having an impact on various different quarters of the global equities space. Steve?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great, great summary, Karen, as well. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this move and the moves we've seen in in recent weeks as well. Uh, And there's a couple of things we need to say as well. Are you buying the dip? Uh, and that is the, the question isn't that if you've bought the dip on those mega stocks that Karen was talking about there, uh, the Metas of this world, the Apples of this world, the Microsoft of this world then you've done very well every time they fell in 2021. But is it different this time? Is something else happening? Is an $8.5 trillion balance sheet reduction a bit of a game changer for some of these stocks? And if you have bought the dip in some of them, well, the problem is it hasn't always worked because the problem here is and this is the secret which some people who come up with lazy terms don't want to admit it hasn't been the everything rally oh yeah i see the titles everything it hasn't let me give you an example Ark invest let's have a look at the etf for kathy wood's uh, trophy investment fund Ark invest peaked on february the 16th 2021 It was trading at around about 157 bucks, give or take the change. Uh, As I think you can see on the screen now, ARK Invest, which fell around about 7% yesterday, along with the rest of Cathie Wood's funds by a similar margin, um, closed at 86. As you can see, they've had a steady demise throughout 2021, so buying the dips on those funds, on the stocks in there, the, the the companies which, such as blockchain, cannabis, clean energy, technology, they haven't had the same bang for the buck of buying the dip of those big mega stocks, and it's very important. To, to make this a statement that, that it hasn't been an everything rally and buying the dips on every single stock has not worked. It's worked on the big names, but not on thousands of smaller companies and a hell of a lot of tech names which don't make money. Great stat I found in the FT again today that the Goldman Sachs index of loss making technology companies already uh, flirting with correction territory in 2022. It's down 9.8%. Now let's move on to another sector if I may. And I want a quick look at real estate because real estate was the biggest declining subsector in the S&P yesterday. It fell 3.3% um, and is off around about 11% from its record close. Why am I looking at this? Because whilst we're all obsessed about the FOMC and rightly so having a good look at it, did you take a look at the mortgage data yesterday? Uh, Yes, some of you. No, some of you. I can see some of you shaking your head. Uh, Well, 10.2% drop in the weekly applications for mortgages last week. And just something to keep an eye on. As the cost of money goes up, the cost of 30 year mortgages, which are some of the most popular in the United States, has actually crept up on the fourth quarter of 2020. So near the peak of the crisis, we had a 2.95% rate for 30-year mortgage uh, applications or mortgage successful applications in the United States. It's now crept up to 3.33, 3.33 as well. So it just shows you, A, mortgage financing is getting tighter, B, the availability isn't so easy. Plus, in the meantime, real estate prices have gone through the roof. There's a shortage of land banks. There are problems with commodities. We've talked about this. So more expensive to buy properties, financing getting tougher as well. Just something to look out for because we all know how important the housing market is in the United States. Right, let's move on to the third piece of data uh, and that was this private sector survey called the ADP and let's be honest about it the ADP is a pretty useless marker for non-farm payrolls over the years. It's interesting but the correlation between the data we're looking at tomorrow and the ADP it's not always the best uh, marker but the figure was huge. So the U.S. private sector employment boomed in December. ADP figures show 807,000 jobs were added in the month. That's more than double the analysts' expectations uh, and well above the 505,000 added in November. The majority of new positions came from those sectors we talked about with the jolts at the start of the week as well. Leisure and hospitality. Isn't that interesting? Tie it together. Have a little bit of kind of lateral thinking, everybody, as well. So that's where people are quitting in their droves. That's where the vacancies are in their droves. And that's where the most new positions came from as well. Uh, The release comes ahead, of course, of the uh, more closely watched non-farm payrolls due this Friday. Let's get an expert involved, Karen.
1: Yeah, Brian Nick has joined us now, Chief Investment Strategist at Nuveen. Brian, thank you very much for joining us so early this morning. Let's get into what the market's contending with, uh, with the potential for three interest rate hikes from the Fed, uh, perhaps a live meeting in March, and the Fed discussing shrinking the balance sheet, Uh, a cocktail there that the market is finding a little bit more aggressive than they had anticipated. What do you make of it?
3: Well, first, thanks for having me. I think, you know, now that we've actually seen the market start to price in even a bit more than three red hikes this year. But I think we have to take a step back and remember that these minutes are from the meeting from last month in December. This isn't fresh thinking from the Fed in light of the impact that Omicron has had. Uh, we don't have any more information about what the Fed's thinking than we did several weeks ago. I think at that time, what we understood was the Fed. Uh, on average, expected to raise rates three times in 2022. I don't think anything about that outlook has changed or they've gotten incrementally more hawkish since then. But I do think that maybe investors are now focusing, now that we're in the new year, are focusing more on that. We didn't see that much of a reaction after the meeting itself. We're seeing one now in terms of the steeper yield curve, a little bit of a stronger dollar. But I think just lingering concerns about the Fed maybe starting to move a little bit too quickly uh, in shrinking its balance sheet and in over-tightening this year. And if those concerns creep in, and right now I think they're concerns, not alarm, you could see valuations pressured across the board in the equity market, which would tend to favor uh, lower-valued or more cheaply-valued companies, which is exactly the pattern we saw today after the uh, minutes were released.
1: Brian, you mentioned Omicron and the market is seeing its way through this uh, pandemic variant at this point. You can see it around some of the bets that have been placed. Is that going to be the same story for the Fed? Because it feels as though it's reached its 2% mandate on inflation and perhaps we're getting closer to uh, full employment as well, given the the change in structure we've seen in the workforce. Uh, Do you think Omicron is going to make that much of a difference this year for Fed policy?
3: I think it could put the Fed in an awkward position. Right now the markets have a better than even chance priced in that the Fed will be raising interest rates in March. If the January payroll report is negative uh, for payroll growth as it was around this time last year when we were experiencing another wave of COVID, you know, even if it looks like we're coming out of it, it'll be awkward for the Fed to be raising interest rates much sooner than expected just a few months ago in light of a weak payroll report that I think potentially is going to be coming our way in early February for the month we're in. I think the Friday report could be quite strong, but once the Omicron uh, variant is felt on the, the impact of the labor force, the willingness for people to seek jobs, to people to hire uh, workers in this environment, I think it could put the Fed in a bit of an awkward position and force them to, to punt this out a little bit further.
2: Brian, very good morning to you. Happy New Year, my friend. Look, I almost shed a tear for those hedge funds the other day when I heard that their average performance in 2021 was a, was a mere 7 or 8% compared to the S&P, which put on 27% as well. And the reason why is being cited, they just didn't own enough of those massive stocks that powered the S&P higher as well. What about those massive stocks? If we see a rotation out of them now that it's meaningful rather than just one or two days, that could spell very, very big problems for the broader market, couldn't it?
3: I think what investors probably should focus on as we're kind of still looking back at 2021 is that U.S. large cap growth stocks, which continued to lead last year, very familiar place at the top of the distribution of asset class returns, are unlikely to continue to be dominant this year. That was our thesis coming in even before we knew about the Fed's hawkish pivot all the way back in November when we released our report for this year. We were focused on areas that underperformed last year, U.S. small cap stocks, which seem extremely cheaply valued. Eurozone stocks, cyclicals within the U.S., so a much more kind of broad array of economically sensitive but not overly expensive looking areas of the market. This week, I think, has validated that uh, much more quickly than I think than we would have anticipated. But if you're focused on industrials, you're focused on financials, I think even the pocket here for energy to outperform. I think that's very real, and we've seen it in the past. Uh, I think tech is is going to have its day as a very high earning sector, but when they Investors are focused on concerns about rising rates. It tends to perform less well, and I think that's where the focus is going to be for the near term.
2: Brian, what you just said there sounds almost casual, but I think what you just said there is absolutely enormous. If we lose the leadership of Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook. We're talking about the trillion dollar club, give or take as well. We're talking about $3 trillion Apple, $2.5 trillion Microsoft. I think we've got a lovely board for this as well. Alphabet, $2 trillion. I could go on. I normally do. But my point is, if you lose the leadership of the trillion dollar club, the the big, big names as well, that means this market is really going to struggle to get impetus in any direction. could be a very soggy 2021, even if we get those names you mentioned, industrials, the small caps of this world, uh, having a more respectable performance.
3: Sure, I think it's an argument to be more diversified, but also I think we're, we're going to be heading into earnings season pretty soon. That tends to be very supportive, those periods do, for those mega cap stocks that you mentioned. Um, we still think earnings are going to be stronger than expected this year, not nearly as good as they were in, uh, in 2021. 20, uh, we're still going to be finding out about the fourth quarter over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think it was inevitable that the the overall market was going to take a breather from the very hot series of returns that we've gotten the last couple of years uh, because valuations are quite high and earnings growth is going to slow necessarily. Uh, but I don't think investors should sort of throw in the towel on really any of these names because it's still a very good economic growth environment. I think that's that should be underpinning the Fed's message maybe more than it has been. Is The reason they're doing all of this is because the economy is running quite hot, both on growth and inflation. And in that kind of environment, I'd expect those companies to be able to, to out-earn uh, their, their competitors, maybe just not getting the look from investors because of the valuation concern.
1: Brian, I take your point in the bond market flagging up what you're saying, too, as you see that U.S. 10-year yield supported at this point, suggesting longer term growth is still intact. But at what point do you see a change? Because last time round, when we had interest rates being increased and there was a QT and the market saw a shrinking of the balance sheet, there was a little bit of concern about the impact on the amount of liquidity in the market. Do you have concerns this time round? Could there be a bumpy number of months down the track?
3: I'm not concerned about the liquidity because the Fed has facilities that didn't exist last time, even if they decide to run the balance sheet down sooner and faster than expected. And for us, we think maybe by the end of the year, they'll start to do this. But if they decide to go sooner after just one or two hikes, you know they have that standing repo facility that they didn't have last time to, to support the treasury market as they're winding down the uh, the balance sheet. But I think more importantly... What we're looking for this year from the economy is very strong, real economic growth and somewhat less hot inflation. And that mix should be, I think, pretty favorable for equity markets, not put as much pressure on the Fed, as I think a lot of investors are are thinking right now, to to hike rates aggressively. Uh, If we do see a pretty sharp deceleration in inflation, which is what we're looking for in the second quarter, uh, the Fed may not be as urgently raising interest rates. And we could see the yield curve even steepen a bit further, the bond market getting maybe even a bit more confidence to this ongoing economic recovery we're in.
2: Brian, always a pleasure listening to what you have to say. We always learn something. Thank you very much indeed. Happy New Year, my friend. And we'll see much more much more of you, of course, this year. Brian Nick, who is Chief Investment Strategist at Nuveen. Right. Um, <laughs> there are still, I shouldn't laugh, there are still some problem banks out there from the last crisis, all right? Forget about any crisis we're seeing this time around or, or credit concerns have been created by COVID. So one of those problem areas is Karija which is uh, over in Italy as well. And of course, they've been looking for a potential white knight for Corigia ever since this one basically had a bailout in 2019. Now, the Italian Depositor Protection Fund, which is called the FITD, has been looking for a buyer for its 80% stake for, for, for a bit of a time as well. Uh, and various parties have come and gone. Um, now I understand that La Stampa, uh, according to the Reuters flashes this morning, uh, is saying that Credit Agricole has emerged uh, as a group, which could be a, a suitor, has presented an offer to buy Italy's Carigia, Banca Carigia, um, for a euro. There you go, for one euro. Uh, but here's the catch. Uh, has also asked for a 700 million euro capital injection into the bank before acquisition. So the cleanup of the Italian banking sector, well, we're well over the top of the bell curve on this one as well. But there are still uh, banks that uh, are on the balance sheet Uh, of the state, pretty much, that need some form of uh, kind of uh, cleansing, so to speak, as well. And it looks like that uh, Credit Agricole is saying for a euro and 700 million euro uh, capital injection, uh, it could be us as the suitor. This, according to La Stampa, uh, reported on Writers. Okay, let's move on to uh, a rival of Credit Agricole over in France. Societe Generale has announced uh, ALD Automotive's proposed acquisition Uh, of lease plan. ALD is Socgen's operational leasing and fleet management business line. Uh, The proposal values lease plan at 4.9 billion euros and would uh, would be made through a combination of shares and cash, with SockGen committed to remain as a long-term majority shareholder in the combined entity. Okay, let's tell you what's coming up on the show. Uh, Countries throughout Europe have been recording record new cases. Uh, They are implementing vaccine mandates, uh, but one goes the other way, uh, loosening testing requirements. Uh, We'll discuss this after a short break.
1: latest around the pandemic and italy has made vaccines mandatory for over 50s with immediate effect In a move unanimously supported by government ministers workplace rules have also been tightened with those over 50 required to present a health pass from mid-february italy reported a new record of nearly 190,000 new cases yesterday with deaths reaching the highest level since spring 2020 over in France, the government's latest COVID measures have been approved by Parliament, including a vaccine pass. The country recorded more than 332,000 new cases yesterday, a new record and 246 new deaths. Hospitalizations are currently over 20,000. That is the highest since last May, Steve.
2: Thanks, Karen. In the UK, a rule change for tests from next Tuesday. A PCR test will no longer be needed to confirm a positive lateral flow result for those who do not have symptoms. This as cases continue to rise amid a shortage of tests. Meanwhile, from tomorrow morning, travelers to the UK will no longer need to test before departure, with the requirement to isolate on arrival also scrapped. Visitors to Britain can now take a lateral flow test no later than the second day of their arrival. Um, We are privileged to get some great experts on this channel, including Dr. Andrew Friedman, who is Reader of Infectious Diseases at Cardiff University Medical School. Dr. Friedman, sir, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I can't work out from reading all the eminent experts out there what Omicron represents. Is it uh, the beginning of the end of this pandemic or actually does it represent dangerous complacency in our society at the moment, given the huge number of cases? Good morning, sir.
0: Good morning. Well, it it may be both of those. I think certainly it's presenting huge problems at the moment just uh, because it is so very contagious and the numbers that we've just been hearing are, are, are sky high. Uh, fortunately, it appears to be a milder virus than some of the previous variants like Delta, uh, but we know that uh, a proportion of people will still, despite being vaccinated and obviously the unvaccinated, are still going to get uh, unwell and require hospitalisation. So it is a, a big problem at the moment, but it's we expect it to peak within the next few weeks and perhaps by the end of January, things will be improving again. Uh, But in the longer term, I think we, we really don't know. We were caught out, but we weren't expecting Omicron to come and there may be other variants in future. So I don't think we can say this is the end, but there is some hope that things will improve in the spring.
2: Yeah, because what I'm seeing is I didn't know anyone with COVID a year ago. Now I know pretty much everyone I know has either had it or is in their family or it's been very close to most people I know. And no one's got any problems, a few harsh colds and what have you. So so is this buying us immunity for worse variants to come? Or again, that's, I guess, my real point here. Does Omicron represent... Um, everyone getting COVID or most people getting some form of COVID or being close to COVID and then we can just move on or actually, actually do we not think it's going to protect us against the bad variants to come?
0: Well, hopefully, I mean, the variant, what happens with viruses as they evolve and uh, they, they, in order to spread, they have to overcome the existing immunity within the population. They, they tend to become milder, less virulent. Uh, that, that isn't always the case, but it does seem to be the case with Omicron. And as you say, most people who are catching it now either have no symptoms at all, if they're vaccinated or mild cold-like symptoms. And so it may well be with With future variants, if they are even more contagious, they may be milder. But we can't say that with certainty. And until the the, the whole world is vaccinated, not just rich Western countries, I think we are going to be uh, remain in danger of of new variants coming along. And some of those could be uh, more virulent than, than Omicron.
1: Dr Friedman, then, does it make sense to to go down the the pathway that Italy is adopting uh, and forcing those over a certain age, those over 50, to have a vaccine? Is that a a measure you think should play out in other countries?
0: Well, it's certainly, obviously, it's desirable to get as as many of the population immunised as possible, whether you mandate it or whether I think perhaps it's better to encourage people to, to get vaccinated through education. Uh, perhaps through restricting uh, activities of people who who choose not to get vaccinated and that's happening for instance in France. Uh, I think that's probably better than actually mandating vaccination.
1: When it comes to the testing regime, we've seen some changes that have been revealed. A uh, PCR test no longer required if you're asymptomatic and uh, test positive on a lateral flow test, but of course around travelling uh, before departure as well, those changes have coming into force. What do you make of that? Is that just symptomatic of the fact that we don't have enough testing facilities or testing kits available, or do you think it is the right measure, we just don't need this information now?
0: I mean, it is a pragmatic approach, as you say, there is a shortage of of, of testing, both of PCR and recently over the, the holiday period of lateral flow devices. But we're we're becoming increasingly confident that lateral flow tests are very good and they do seem to equate to infectivity. Uh, they're less sensitive than PCR, but uh, given the, the very high prevalence of the virus at the moment, we know that the vast majority of positive lateral flow tests are going to be true positives. And so you don't need to confirm that uh, by by PCR testing. Uh, In terms of the new uh, arrangements for for travel, reduced testing requirements in the UK. Again, I think that's sensible. Uh, We know obviously that Omicron is spread everywhere and there's no longer any benefit in in trying to uh, uh, restrict travel uh, to to try and keep it out. Uh, It's here and it's in every European country.